I'm Yasi Salik, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to the Press Box. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, and producer Erica Cervantes here. Welcome back, Erica. There is a big story, David, in the NBA this week that has a big media story attached to it. It's about the season-long suspension of Boston Celtics head coach Ime Udoka and how that story was reported on and then opined on. The Boston Globe's Chad Finn put together a really good story that served as a timeline of all the reporting here. Do you want me to crib from that and then we'll just jump in? Yeah, please do. All right. So the initial tweet came down Wednesday night at 10.35 p.m. Eastern. From ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, a.k.a. Woj. He tweeted, ESPN sources, colon, Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka is facing possible disciplinary action, including a significant suspension for an unspecified violation of organizational guidelines. Discussions are ongoing within the Celtics on a final determination. So Woj, at this point in time, doesn't have what Yudoka allegedly did. He doesn't have what the penalty is going to be, mm-hmm. though he knows they're considering a penalty. How do we feel about reporting a story in that form? Presuming that he actually didn't have the information, um, uh, I think that, I mean, it's big news, right? I mean, you understand the need to get that out there. Uh, if it seemed like you're not going to be able to report it out in the near future or by the time that the press conference happens. It, I mean, it seems it, it does kind of feel like you're, you're, you're rushing against the clock and not quite sure what the clock is set on there. Right. But, uh, 
what is the clock? Because it that feels to me like a report from the newspaper era where you're worried the paper's about to go to press and you're going to have nothing for 24 hours. So you're putting out a placeholder that runs somewhere on the front of the sports page until you get more information. Yeah. So is the clock Sham Sharani of The Athletic? Is that the clock that we're trying to beat here when we put out a story like that in that form? That it may be the case, um, you know, it's hard to read in between these things, but Shams, I mean, that's the next beat on the timeline, right? That Shams tweeted uh, with a little bit more detail. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, based on nothing, uh, I'm not, I'm not offended at, at the, at the Woj tweet and I, and you know, uh, Woj did seem to, saw him on TV and stuff. I mean, he got dragged in front of the cameras a few times and sort of, and I think he conducted himself about as respectably as anybody else, probably maybe even more so, um, throughout the course of the week. Uh, I don't know. It's a really good question. I mean, it, 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 the, the structure of his tweet, it could have been as, it could have been as simple as he got a call from the VP of PR at the Boston Celtics. And he was just like, I just wanted you to know this story's about to drop here. And here's what I'm willing to tell you. And it was the substance of that tweet. And then Woj could have said, Please tell me more. What else can I report? You know, and got on the phone. But if that that might have been all he, all he got, and at that point, it does feel like a like a uh, it was it's it's a tweet and it's it's news in needing of much. You know, there's many blanks to fill in. But as a, but the first tweet, I don't think really stung me. What about you? Well, I was just confused by it when I saw it. Yeah, and, and the I point think- is not to be conf- never to be confusing. Yes. And I have no doubt that he was trying to figure out the answer to all those questions. But I think any news story that begs a ton of questions is a news story that feels like it should be put back in the microwave for a while. And you should try to get more answers to that. As you point out, it was about two hours and change later that Sham Sharani of The Athletic then tweets, Celtics coach Ime Yudoka had an improper, intimate, and consensual relationship with a female member of the team's staff, sources tell at the Athletic at Stadium. It's been deemed a violation of franchise's code of conduct. Yeah. A little more detail, though. I think we should come back to what some of the words in that tweet actually mean. I was going to say, it's a little more detail that kind of begs even more questions. Let's just do it right now. That was one of those phrases that wound up getting repeated over and over again on television. But I look at that tweet and I'm like, what? One is in the middle of the night on Mm -hmm. Wednesday night, Thursday morning, was he able to get comment from Ime Udoka and or his representatives, the member of the team staff he's referring to and or her representatives? Mm Mm-hmm. And the team, were all those bases touched here so that we know for sure that that's the way to describe this relationship? I mean, that's that's to me an interesting question. And as we look at this as news consumers and look at what we're reading, you know, and hearing you to me immediately look at that and go, okay, is is that right? Is that where we are? Because those words again would be repeated over and over again. I, I well, you know, there, there's there's one way of looking at this, um, 
from which one vantage point from which the assumption is they knew the words whoever whoever gave them the information knew that those words would be repeated right i mean if the, if this was a, if this was in, if this was a a, a leak or a whatever and trying to shape the news coverage going forward it was successful um i think even if that's not the case i th- the use of the word consensual is really suspect i mean from the very beginning and and, and just because you, i mean you laid it out you need to outline your sourcing even if it's not even if they're unnamed sources because uh Consensual means well certainly means different things in different settings, right? And I mean the HR department probably has a different definition of it than some of the people involved. But there are like three distinct entities, the teams and both people involved who have a claim on the legitimacy of that word. And so just the general like, oh, I got I got a, a you know a couple a, some a source that I trust told me this. I mean that's uh, that's not quite good enough. And I think. Judging by the reaction that I saw online, most people sort of felt that same way too. You know, I mean, I get. I, there's a lot of a lot of reporters out there trying to be protective of people in throughout this story, um, and the human element there is understandable. Uh, in some ways, it's the most important thing. Um, you or I don't know the whole truth of the story or anything that's going on. And we should say that I haven't called anybody or even heard any like solid rumors or anything like that. I, I guess the, I guess all of that is to say, I guess you could make the case that 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 tweet minus the word consensual might've had a drastically different reading in the other direction and presume. And if, and if you have any, if Shams had any concept of what the truth of the situation was, maybe that felt more wrong, but I think that's exactly why you need to report the story and not tweet out, uh, a tweet, you know, and if, if there's not certainly not enough space for, for all the information to be conveyed there. And that's why you go back to the original sort of least favorable supposition. This was a source trying to shape the conversation. I couldn't agree more. And this is one of those times in insider culture where when you tweet out something like that, you know what I want? I want a link I can click on mm-hmm. so that I can read a story and have you tease out and share more information and not just leave it in a handful of characters like that. Like if it's so-and-so is about to sign with the Warriors, some entertainment purposes only NBA story, mm-hmm. that can probably be contained in a tweet. But but that but it wouldn't be. I mean, the, the, to break the news, yes. But you're going to follow yeah. up 30 minutes later and say, "Here's my story." Right. But here, I want a fleshed band. out story. Yeah. That tells me what those terms mean, who is using those terms, how they are being understood in this context. Because the use of those terms that feels like the start of the reporting, not the end of the reporting. If you mm-hmm. just Google consensual relationships in an office. There is a vast amount of complexity in those terms mm-hmm. between the parties. And again, use of that word, and this is not going to be your employment law podcast here, but that that is not sufficient to describe almost any professional relationship along these lines, simple terms like that. And then, by the way, when Shams writes a story for The Athletic sometime later, He writes this, some members of the Celtics organization first became aware of the relationship in July, sources said, 
At that time, team leadership was led to believe by both parties that the relationship was consensual. But sources said that the woman recently accused Yudoka of making unwanted comments toward her, leading the team to launch a set of internal interviews. So already, between the time of that tweet and between the time of this story, the situation has grown a lot more. The story has grown a lot more complicated than what was initially laid out. Yeah. Um, and there is, again, Celtics team sources are in there. Um this is a this is a really difficult story to piece together. I think in the in the normal manner that an NBA story news story would be would be pieced together, right? You can kind of check boxes in a much more simplistic way uh, when you're talking about a contract situation or free agent signing or whatever else. Um, even even written out, even with even with clearly touching base with someone at the Celtics, it just seemed. Uh, incredibly wanting the notable feature of the story is how little information there is Mm -hmm. how little information has been reported chad finn notes in his boston globe story that between woge's initial tweet and the first statement by the celtics of any kind 23 hours passed and those statements were a press release saying that yudoka had been suspended for the year for quote violations of team policy and Yudoka releasing his own statement saying he was sorry and that he had no further comment. <laughs> and when I look at this, there's a couple of things that are pretty broken in sports media or maybe more specifically just incapable of dealing with a story like this sensitively and fairly. Yeah. One of those things is sports Twitter. Because guess what happened during that 23-hour gap? A lot of Twitter users started looking for women who work in the Celtics organization. Mm-hmm. started engaging in really gross speculation yeah about those women yep amanda plugrod who is the team reporter and host for the celtics tweeted this as a female of the celtics organization watching these last few days unfold has been heartbreaking seeing uninvolved people's names thrown around in the media including mine with such carelessness is disgusting this is a step backwards for women in sports who've worked hard to prove themselves in an industry they deserve to be in Brad Stevens mentioned the same thing when the Celtics finally had that press conference. So there was that. Then there's a second part, David, that's broken. That's the ESPN opinion machine. Yeah. Where when you go on television on Thursday morning, morning after the story breaks, you have to have a big opinion about the story. Despite the fact that there is little to no information even from your own news organization mm-hmm. out there about it. Yeah. I mean, Twitter, we're kind of like, this is terrible. You know, do we report the accounts? Hope that the accounts engaged in that kind of speculation are, you know, shut down. But ESPN, it seems like there's a, there's a solution to this, which is, can we not do this on Thursday morning? Yeah. And even Friday morning. And you know, come on and be like, here's my big take on the whole thing. I mean, the Stephen A, the first, one of his first rounds on this on Thursday morning was, he said, I'm not defending Ime Yudoka, made that very, very clear. But then he says, I have a bigger issue with the Boston Celtics allowing this whole story to be publicized and leaked. Mm-hmm. Really? And I don't know if it was this sort of 
performative earnestness, trying to trying and sort of failing at taking the situation, treating the situation with a great seriousness that doesn't attend some of the other conversations they have on the show. But he certainly seemed to be more, more like honestly worked up about the Celtics allowing this to become public than he did about any other aspect of the story and let alone any other converse, any other loud argument he's had on his own television show over the past six months. You know, I mean, this seemed like there's nothing that, I don't know, that he was, that he honed in on that to such a degree. Um, I don't know, just, it kind of said a lot. And if you just like, if that's your take on it, what, tell me what facts is that take built on? He seemed to be working from a set of facts that he was not making public. Uh, and whether that's one person's point of view or just personal point of view based on accumulation of evidence, it's it was sort of perplexing. It is totally perplexing because it's like, if you have facts to add to this narrative, Stephen A is a was a reporter, he's very connected in the NBA, then surely this is the time for you to try to report those facts on your television show rather than constructing a take on vague or non-existent facts mm-hmm. that aren't out there. And I'm just like, I'm it's like, if I, you know, he had that run in the next day was a, on Friday with Malika Andrews. Yeah. Who would come on there and they have this sort of, this whole thing, this whole back and forth. And he tells her not to, not to tell me to stop on my own show. And this, that was a very, strange and cringy kind of thing to watch yeah happen and i'm just like if i could sell anything to him i was like if you come out on your television show on thursday morning and say you know what i'd love to have a big opinion about this nba news Mm -hmm. but i don't know enough yet right i just don't know and i'm there are ways to discuss there's certainly things we can discuss and talk about but i don't know enough yet Mm-hmm. I honestly, I mean, this is maybe me being naive, but I think that would have a big impact yeah. on ESPN where he is allegedly the most powerful person on sports Twitter, where first take is a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, there is something powerful about saying me, the guy who is ready with an opinion on everything does not have an opinion about this. Yep. Or at least a conventional kind of, I'm coming down hard on one side or the other opinion on this. And it goes without saying, but if he did that, they wouldn't have to sit in silence for the next 15 minutes of the show in this space where they were, would have otherwise been talking about Udoka and the Celtics. Like they find plenty of stuff to talk about every day. Uh, but I think part of the conver- part of the, the difficulty in figuring out it, it, when you, when you fail to cover something correctly, a lot of the times you can look back, especially at a, a format like first take and say, it's a square peg round hole situation. Like if this, you know, there, there, there is a way to address a situation like this, like briefly and soberly on sports center, but they don't have the, that doesn't fit into the rubric of first take. Right. So if there's, you're, you're right. That you, what you said is what they should have done. But once it's been decided that we're going to, that this is going to be a topic of conversation, it just gets put into the ringer, you know, it just, it, it, it's like, it, it's just wound up and immediately set up to be a borderline disgrace. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. And it's funny because one of an ESPN YouTube account, this was, this was the headline. Stephen A is furious and disappointed after the Celtics email Udoka press conference, furious and disappointed. 
I mean, it's like what? And it's funny because, you know, first take often becomes the billboard of ESPN. It becomes when people complain about ESPN, that's specifically what they're complaining about. Mm -hmm. I watched a clip from the NBA today, Malika Andrews, our old pal, Zach Lowe, Richard Jefferson, Woj, who you just mentioned, and Mm Jalen Rose. They had a terrific conversation about it. They were able to have a conversation about it that was interesting. That was that covered a lot of these bases. Zach made the point again and again about how much we don't know about this. Mm-hmm. And it is possible to have a television roundtable conversation about this. That is absolutely not impossible. So it's like, you know, I don't want to smear the, you know, smear all of ESPN because it it definitely was there. Yeah, for sure it was. Um we can one i mean it, it it does sort of still and we'll get into some of the we'll get into this i think next it's hard to watch that round table which was done incredibly well and incredibly tastefully and, and stood up in very stark contrast to what happened on first take um and they certainly treated every they treated the subject respectfully and appropriately uh there's still at this point is just sort of a glaring hole where like the reporting is right i mean this isn't just on woes or just on shams or anybody at this point it's just sort of i don't know listen we, we i don't nobody's name needs to be out there nobody you know we don't there's a lot of this that will fall under the banner of like privacy and you know hr and everything else um but i think there's just some very basic mechanics of the story that are still just unclear even after a press conference with the ownership you know with the coach with the general manager or not the coach with the general manager former coach uh it's it is um i mean i guess you, it's, for having to go on television they did absolutely as well as anybody could do right uh NBA yeah, for today, having a discussion in, in, about NBA today is not pushing it's not like a podcast it's like we'll, we'll we'll you know we'll record two hours later in search of greater in, insight or whatever it's you know there, there's there's certain necessities um but anyway it, it was it was a very good conversation were you struck by the number of people in and around the media who were doing this kind of winking thing like they knew more details about mm-hmm. the case than they could say on television well so yes. they were trying to intimate that to the public in some way or another yeah um i mean that's sort of the next big chapter in the story right uh, there is a lot of information floating around out there, obviously that we don't, uh, have access to all of it. Um, uh, on, you know, the ring on the NBA show on the, the ringers podcast feed, um, Logan and Rob, Logan Murdoch and Rob Mahoney, two of our very, very best. I mean, we're, they're all great, but two of my favorite people to listen to and to read had a conversation about this in which they sort of said, don't. Like, don't get out ahead of your skis, basically. You know, I mean, it's like there's a lot of information out there. And if you don't have the information, maybe don't just start, just go out there and start and, and, and start working on, you know, with half truths and incomplete information, um, which is correct. This is a very specific, particular kind of story in which care and prudence and meticulousness is necessary. But we're in a very odd point in the media world where there is a vacuum needing to be filled and it is now being filled with them. And Ramona Shelburne, who went on Jack, Zach Lowe's podcast, again, incredibly good conversation. All these conversations are just as good as they could possibly be. 
but having the conversations about the story and about the inability and the you know the prudence what it needs to take to report the story become they fill this void and that says that's nothing that, that says nothing about the people having the conversations they're saying exactly the right things in the spaces they need to be said um but it is it it, it does become a bullet point on this timeline right i mean this is this is how this space is filled and then of course the most notable example uh is matt barnes who came out in support of ime yudoka and then sort of not sort of did a full mea culpa didn't backtrack full mea couple culpa in a video he made while driving where he said he spoke to someone in the celtics organization or someone close to the situation and it's so much a hundred times worse than uh anybody thought and he's his prayers for everybody involved and uh, you know a lot of people i mean i'd say if there was any it's not exactly an overworked Twitter joke, but I think the thing that I saw most repeated on Twitter over the weekend was, you know, Steve, if 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 um, if Matt Barnes thinks something is bad, then this has got to be really, you know, kind of a joke to, about his history. Um, it, it's the, the, so there's a lot again. The vacuum just gets filled with people's implication that they know more, and I think that you could see that even in the podcast that I referenced. Um, on some level, you have to have some idea of a deep, you have must have a deeper understanding of what's going on than the average consumer if you're willing to go out there and say, hey, everybody take a beat, take a breath. Don't You don't have to run out there and just assume or report or anything else. So yeah, I mean, it's this is a very, this is very much a symptom of the modern media world where it's not just that people know stuff that the regular consumers, news consumers don't know. It's that we're very aware of the, we can look and point at the people who know more than the average person, and the average the, the the news consumer, the NBA fan, whoever, just looks and says, "All these people know something. Why isn't anybody saying something?" Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I and mean, I was what I was thinking about this. I was looking at a Richard Jefferson tweet. Richard Jefferson does a bunch of ESPN shows. The tweet is, "When you guys find out the truth, eyes emoji." And then it's a gift from Mean Girls. Okay, <laughs> are we? You know, are we also huddling with everybody in the ESPN newsroom right now, talking about how ESPN can work on this story? If we're doing, if we're putting out tweets like that, mm-hmm. just to tell the audience that we know more about this story, and as you say, make the audience be like, "Wait a sec, you, you know something more about this?" Are we all just? I assume that that conversation is probably happening within ESPN because certainly ESPN wants, you know, again, like when we talk about the story from the very first Woj tweet, this is not, there are people want to do more with this or responsibly more. David and I are not going anywhere here. That's in irresponsible way, responsibly reporting. They want to do more on this story. I just hope that that's also happening while that kind of, that sort of tweet is going out there or the thing that Matt Barnes recorded is going out there. You're severely limited in what you can say, even if you, even if you reported it out. Right. I mean, if you, if you've determined or you're, you as a reporter, I guess more appropriately, the news organization that you work for may have determined that we're not going to use the name of the other party involved for any number of reasons. Um, and that's entirely appropriate, but you also then can't, start naming all the people who aren't the person, the the other party involved. Right. I mean, you saw somebody specifically, I did, you know, a a reporter said, it's not the person that you guys are all naming, you know, just like, let's just get, get, take, let's stop hounding her. Stop making this thing. Because obviously a lot of this comes down to people 
identifying the, the the other person involved online or trying to misidentifying trying to identify to blame that person for whatever the, for the 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 downfall of the Celtics right uh which is entirely inappropriate and probably entirely untrue um so you have to be careful about obviously take great care and great deliberation reporting all these things i guess my question though is like if we're not going to name the person, if you as your news organization, not name, if you're not going to pursue a story beyond a certain point, or you're not going to report out a story and to be, you know, in, in a certain direction beyond a certain point, is it incumbent upon the reporters to sort of make that clear? Like here are the here 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 are the 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 no fly zones, and I've reported the story as far as I can in this direction, um, so don't expect anything else. Like is that is that an important conversation to sort of or like just statement to make? Yeah, I think so. And it's it's common, you know, when reporting these kind of stories that here is the policy of our news organization. Mm-hmm. And just spelling that out for the reader to to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and I think as you as this story is reported on more, you'll see a lot of those paragraphs and a lot of those sentences. That's like here is how we approach material like this. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, something that's arrived at by looking at a style book, by a big conversation within a newsroom. Absolutely. And I think that'd be absolutely appropriate on a story like this. Again, there's just so much we don't know about this story. And that's That's what's what's motivating this conversation. Like you take it back to the very beginning of the conversation. We don't know what motivated Woj's tweet. And we're not, he does not owe us that explanation. Um, Like I said, he's, he's acted entirely honorably i think through the entire course of this thing but the, but the but we don't the very the most basic first thing we don't know we can only speculate why he tweeted that when he tweeted it right and and nothing very little has become more clear the most clarifying quote unquote clarifying thing that's happened has been i mean it was probably shams's follow-up tweet which again as we said before you know your mileage may vary on it the pro i mean and more significantly you shouldn't be counting your mileage on that tweet. We should have, you know, like, don't, no. that's the thing you don't tweet unless you have more information to back it up. And there's just not a lot that's, uh, that's come out since then um, that, 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 you know, elucidates the situation anymore. Coming up in 30 seconds, David, let us talk about, and boy, what a time to talk about it, the death of the standard bearer of the New York Times. But first, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they're always gratefully received. Didn't really have a consensus overworked Twitter joke this week. Mm -hmm. So I threw it open to our friends on Twitter um, (laughs) and just got some of the, let us call them the semi consensus entries in this feature this week. One was the continuing really weird performance of Russell Wilson, the newly minted Denver Bronco quarterback. Any tweet that said less, let Russ cook. And then had something gross being cooked. (laughs) There was one with cereal with hot dogs and a slice of American cheese in it. Uh, One was the pro bowl going to a flag football competition. I thought the pro bowl was already flag football. <laughs> a member of the St. Louis Cardinals who has 681 home runs behind Albert Pujols, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> if you found any of those things funny, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. 
Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything. So you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. All right, about the New York Times, David. Let me take you back to August 2005. You remember August 2005 because you and I were living together. Wow. I was a columnist at Mm Slate.com writing about pop culture. And I published a column about Target as in the retail store. And the next day I'm sitting in my office and I have that columnist afterglow. Oh boy, I did a good job. I made a, made a piece of journalism here. Uh-huh. And I get an email from a guy named Alan Siegel. <laughs> and he points out, and he works at the New York Times. So immediately my you know young writer brain is like, uh-oh. Email from somebody at the New York Times, and he points out that I have a typo in the first sentence of my slate column. Oh, no. I had misspelled the name of Eustace Tilly, the New Yorker monocle-wearing mascot. (laughs) Thought I'd done such a good job. Alan Siegel died last week. No relation, by the way, to our Alan Siegel. This Alan Siegel was the standards editor of the New York Times. Papers Obit called him the exacting and unquestioned arbiter of language, taste, tone, and ethics. Basically, his job was to say, at the New York Times, this is how we do things. Within a paragraph, this is how we express things. This is what kind of paper we should be on a daily basis. How many publications in our lifetime would even have somebody that would think about occupying that role times, maybe the New Yorker have a certain mm-hmm. traditions and standards we need to do. Uh, Alan Siegel started at the New York times as a copy boy in 1960, did some reporting, not too much of it helped edit, edit the Pentagon paper story significantly. And then after the 2003 Jason Blair scandal, he was on a team that says, what should the paper do now? And he, helped create the team, created this position of standards editor, and he became the standards editor. Mm -hmm. Here are some of the examples uh, that he gave or that the, the, excuse me, the obit gave about the standards he was upholding. He got mad that the times had spelled foie gras in the paper incorrectly, or at least differently than they normally spell foie gras. He says, if this bumpkin spelling is the best we could do, we should stick to chopped liver. (laughs) <laughs> According to the obit, the Times once published a headline that old the old Bears coach Mike Ditka quote should recover end quote from a heart attack. To which Alan Siegel wrote, "Unless God returns our call, we shouldn't predict in such cases." He was the guy who decided that when the Times runs those wonderful obituaries, that the list of survivors should not be the last thing in the obituary. You know, you end an obituary, David Shoemaker was, is survived by his uh, parents and his good friend, Brian Curtis. That we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. We should do that. And then we should have a telling anecdote about David Mm -hmm. as the last paragraph in the obituary, or maybe a 
really good quote to end it on. Tellingly, the Times obituary does the same thing with for Alan Siegel. Here is a quote he gave about journalism. The best of style relies on reporters' ears and eyesight and on simplicity. The unpretentious language of a letter to an urbane and literate friend. In that setting, the sudden glimmer of an unusual word, a syncopation, or a swerve in logic lets the reader know that here is something richer than an hourly bulletin. Hmm. Pretty good synopsis of newspaper journalism there. Yeah, it's pretty great. By the way, follow up to my note from Alan Siegel. I was writing a column for the New York Times, for the Play magazine inside the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And I tried to use the phrase, talking (laughs) about ESPN, appropriate to our discussion today, a man looks into a camera and relieves himself of an opinion. (laughs) Okay. And I seem to remember, I cannot, I cannot confirm this to Alan Siegel's standards, but I seem to remember that we got a note at Play Magazine from his department mm-hmm. saying that that was not the kind of phrase that should appear in the Times. <laughs> I looked up the column and it did, in fact, appear in the Times. But, but, maybe we had to tone it down a little bit. I can't remember. R.I.P. Alan Siegel. By the way, Alan Siegel's name was spelled A-L-L-A-N-S-I-E-G-A-L. Now, for somebody who would later uphold the standards of the New York Times, (laughs) do you think at some level of his being, he was vexed by his name constantly being misspelled? Yes. Yes, that was his origin story, probably. Yeah, this is like when we talk about the weather forecaster whose last name is Stormy. Mm Mm-hmm. Or something, and it is destiny for them to be a weather forecaster. It seems like destiny, if your name is spelled in a tricky way or a way that other people would find tricky, that you are going to be the person who upholds the standards of the New York Times. Another topic for you, David. The MLB home run chase we talked about the other day. Mm-hmm. Big moment of baseball history on Friday. Listen to what a 700th home run sounds like. So that was the Cardinals' Albert Pujols hitting the home run. But that was not the voice of Cardinals play-by-play announcer Dan McLaughlin. That was the voice of Wayne Randazzo because that game was airing on Apple TV. (laughs) This has been the weird media sub-story of the home run chases of 2022. They are on the conventional place that you find the broadcast but then on certain days of the week, especially Friday for Apple TV, mm-hmm. they air there. There was a big thing with Aaron Judge, who's still sitting at 60 home runs. Oh my gosh, we're going to get to hear Michael Kay of the Yes Network call this climactic 61st home run that will tie Roger Maris's record. But then the game was on Apple on Friday <laughs> <laughs> with an announcer who was not Michael Kay. Do you find it funny that history? is passing between television networks, cable networks, and then also these streaming services to see who will get to hit the lottery for the big home run. Well, I mean, it is a very kind of yield thing to have an announcer and a team so 
inextricably intertwined. But so much about sports, as we talk about every week, is that, right? And if nothing else, as a you know, sports league, as a sports broadcaster, you're trying to evoke the sort of sentimentality or, you know, the, the continuity at the very least that comes with sports fandom. And, you know, in a vacuum, if you asked if somebody came over and, uh, from another country and had never been exposed to baseball and you were just like, oh, my God, the, the, the announcer on the other channel had got to call that great moment instead of the one that I'm used to, they'd probably look at you a little bit, a little bit perplexed, right? Um, but uh, yeah, these are the hand, these are the trade-offs that we have to make in the new media era. And, um, you know, I hope that the teams are a little bit circumspect about that when they make some of these deals. I don't know. Would it make you feel better if, if, if like the, the, the conventional, Local announcers got just recorded like overdubs and they circulated that <laughs> that clip around. It's like when uh, Howard Cosell called those famous fights, but it was only for the re-air a week later on ABC Sports. Exactly, yeah. Like down goes Frazier. That was not him. He was calling it live, but it was not airing live. It was mm-hmm. a different call that was airing it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think what people want is the clip. They want the clip to have the right voice attached to the clip. The clip, mm-hmm. the voice that they're used to right so that when this gets replayed nine billion times so they can just you know or we share it on twitter that it's the right quote unquote right voice it seems like radio is really the only way a play-by-play announcer gets to squat on the rights to have a call because radio is not only going to do every game but radio is also going to follow you through the postseason you know TV, yeah. your your local TV announcers have to give up the team at a certain point, but radio yeah. will go to the end. So the oh, radio no. announcer will get the call all the way to the end of the World Series, if applicable. Exactly, the radio the radio announcing job is becoming the real like the like the the bard, right? The bard of the team, the person following along and lending their voice to every game of the season. Every, you know, I mean, that's it's it's actually true. Um, you know, I'm sure that they're. Uh, People are aghast when other people were calling their teams during for Monday Night Football or whatever, you know. But these are the those are the trade offs you kind of have to make for expansion, right? I mean, it's it, it uh, not ideal, but whatever else. I mean, and listen, maybe we'll be maybe just like Monday Night Football. Maybe we'll be looking back in ten years and uh, thinking if Wayne Rendazzo was the voice of Major League Baseball, and of course he calls all the games that happen because Amazon is the only place we watch them now. <laughs> or we have no idea how we're going to revisit this. Wayne is the Mets announcer, by the way, in his in real life. So Wayne is Wayne is the voice of a lot of baseball in this season because the Mets are good. A lot of really important baseball. Just throwing that out there. A lot of this feels baked into the job of announcing totally. When Vin Scully died and we're talking about how he did the World Series every other year through a big chunk of the 80s mm-hmm. because the off year was or the on year, depending on how you look at it, was Al Michaels doing it for ABC. So Vin Scully got to call the World Series in 86 when the ball goes through Bill Buckner's legs. Amazing moment that has his voice on it forever. Two years later, he gets to do the World Series when Kirk Gibson hits a home run game one for the Dodgers. It's like awesome. But that was just hitting the lottery. Al Michaels got to be the voice of the announcer when the earthquake hit the stadium in 1989 because he was doing the odd years. So I think a lot of that's just baked into the job. A tweet I wanted to send to you that was interesting. Uh, Letitia James, who is the 
New York State Attorney General, when people complained that the game was going to be on Apple TV instead of the Yes Network, she tweeted this, millions of New Yorkers paid their cable bills expecting to see live sports programming, denying them the chance to watch Aaron Judge step up to the plate to make history tonight is wrong and unfair. I'm calling on MLB and Apple to open up tonight's game to the Yes Network. That set off an interesting reaction because people are like, wait a second, in 2022, what is more accessible? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Apple TV, which is free, so long as you have a smartphone and or computer or something like that to watch it on, or the Yes Network, which requires cable or cable-like thing and possibly a television to watch it on. Right. I thought that was interesting. It's good. And if the Yes Network, you know, I mean, the, here's the thing with all the local broadcasters, right? They become uh, local sports broadcasters become such a fixture in your life. You know exactly they're on the speed dial on your phone. I mean, on your on your remote control at home. You know what channel it is probably by memory. But like as soon as like the, like once every what like eight years, the cable company will like mess around with the channels or the or the rights will the rights package will shift to a different channel, and that is a is a catastrophe on such a different level than than trying to find something, you know, trying to, to make Amazon TV work. Right. I mean, like those that we forget about those moments as soon as they're resolved, but that is serious stuff, let alone. And that means set aside, completely separate from that is the fact that like every cable package, whatever has a different channel for this stuff. So if you show up at the sports bar and you're like, can you put the, the, can you, you know, can you put the Dodgers game on whatever your local sports team is, then they're like, okay, well, I have Xfinity. What channel am I trying to push right now? And if you don't know the answer, you're never getting to see that show, right? I mean, it's like it that could be a whole half hour of Googling before you figure out what and, and, and before you figure it out and you fully exasperated the bartender by then. And good luck getting your, you know, second bloody Mary. But there it's it's a lot more difficult. We we forget how difficult it is, except in the moments of greatest exasperation, which are in TV land still very extreme. We're not doing the only in journalism words bit anymore, but occasionally, David, we still get only in journalism words. And this one from listener Charlie Couts was fantastic. It's a tweet from the Wall Street Journal. A former Mississippi human services director pleads guilty in a welfare scandal that has, wait for it, enmeshed former (laughs) NFL star Brett Favre and former governor Phil Bryant. Enmeshed. Again, feels like a word you're using very purposely when you have a story about legality and guilty pleas. You're mm-hmm. you're making sure you're not throwing anything out there that could be wrong. So enmeshed. Enmeshed. Mm-hmm. Sort of like in battle. There's absolutely no status you're implying to Brett Favre. <laughs> Legal status. He's just enmeshed. Another good one I heard over the weekend, I was watching the Packers-Bucks game yesterday. Tom Rinaldi comes on for Fox and he mm-hmm. used an only in sports broadcasting word, which he said that the Packers offensive line was going to try to staunch the Buccaneers defense. Oh, so we often have staunch as in like as an adjective. St- yeah. Staunch conservative being a very popular mm-hmm. one in politics, but in sports, you can staunch a defense and use it as a verb. Wow. I- I tweeted this out and a bunch of people tweeted back at me. Oh, the Brits do this all the time. I'm not familiar with that, but in America, an only in sports broadcasting word staunch as a verb. It's time for David Shoemaker guesses his train pun headline. Yeah. 
Thursday's headline about the large number of dudes set to sit on the British throne was it's raining men. (laughs) Today's headline comes from valued listener going off topic. It's from both the New York Post and the New York Daily News. Some rare synchronicity between the tabloids. Last Tuesday, the Yankees' Aaron Judge, the aforementioned, hit his 60th home run of the season, tying Babe Ruth. What was the Post's or the Daily News's strain pun headline? (sighs) Okay. They both had the same one. Actually, it's um, a little bit different, but we'll we'll, we'll okay, get to that. But, right, it's the same the same pun. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Judge um, tying Babe Ruth's record. Judge, I mean, Judge has got to be in there. Babe, mm. um, why don't we babe, go with that? Why don't we go with Babe? Babe uh, tied. Babe caught. Babe matched. Babe. Um, uh, maybe a maybe a song from a you, popular. Babe. There we go. Okay. Uh, so the daily news is I got you, babe. Oh, I got yeah, I got it. I've got you. I babe. got you, other... babe. Now the post went one pun step further. Can you think of that and and think I've... of a popular only on the sports page term for tying someone? A verb is the two teams are what? Uh, tied, locked up. Uh, do um even older than locked up no i know uh i know I, I, god why can't i think are blanked at five runs apiece are oh what is it i don't even i can't think of it what about nodded oh nodded god. right so the new york post headline was not i got you babe but not i no i not you babe i not you babe yeah that's no good <laughs> <laughs> kind of sounds like Borat. I know. <laughs> doing American journalism. I not you, babe. Sometimes you just turn the wheel one too many times. Yeah. He, he is David Shoebaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. Coming up later this week, David, the legendary sports center anchor and Los Angeles Dodgers play by play man, Charlie Steiner, is going to be on this podcast. That will be up Wednesday. And David and I are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. <laughs>